up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and today's audio clip was taken from a show that ran inside our discipleship.org collective. If you're wondering what that is, you'll hear more about that later on in the episode. We had Greg Ogden and Ralph Rittenhouse of Global Discipleship Initiative share stories about discipleship from their own lives and miracles they've seen taking place inside discipling relationships. The Global Discipleship Initiative exists to help churches who know why we make disciples figure out the how and actually having a plan to make disciples within the micro group. So make sure to check out the globaldiscipleshipinitiative.org for more disciple making tools and resources. And let's listen in to Greg Ogden and Ralph Rittenhouse. Here we go. Hello, my name is Greg Ogden and one of the founders of Global Discipleship Initiative, along with Ralph Rittenhouse, the co-founder of Global Discipleship Initiative. Why don't we start uh, just by letting you tell us, tell the folks a little bit about GDI, what we are. Thank you, Ralph. Uh, Ralph and I are just going to have a conversation with you this afternoon and uh, share back and forth rather than do some formal presentation. But uh, GDI has been in existence about six years now. Uh, Ralph and I hooked up to join together uh, and promote uh, what we call transforming and multiplying disciples through microgroups. And this is what we do. Uh, and we coach, we teach uh, pastors, church leaders uh, across the United States and the world to grow up uh, discipling in Christ to multiply uh, through this context of a, a small group of three or four people and uh, gather around a curriculum and engaging their lives with each other and, and mixing it up and, uh, and teach people how to do that. And when those groups multiply and grow, uh, you have a transformative movement uh, that takes place in that process. And you'll hear a lot more about that. Now, Ralph, we have, we have a BHAG. Uh, what is a BHAG? A big, a big, hairy, audacious goal uh, that comes from a, a tip from a recent uh, business group that that came up with that idea of a BHAG, and we came up with one. We say our big, hairy, audacious goal is to plant disciple-making movements in every country in the world by 2026. Now, we, we did that. We launched that BHAG back when we first started, so we're well into it now. Um, but at that time, they a few months later, they had the Rio Olympics, and 210 flags went across the stadium floor as they were introducing this. So I figured we got about 210 countries that we're targeting. I know that the number of countries changes all the time, but nevertheless, that's kind of what our target is. And uh, we, we're, we're out there trying to launch disciple-making movements in all these countries. Great. Well, we're going to talk more about that at the end of our session and kind of look at what different places we are in and involved with and how many different languages Disciples of Essentials has been translated in. But now we just want to kind of jump right into the core of what our ministry is all about. I'm going to put an image here on the screen that I think captures that fairly well. And uh, it has to do with kind of our overall teaching tool in a sense. And the guidance there, you can see on the right side of the screen uh, is a successful disciple-making journey. Disciples who make disciples and there's three components uh, that make for that. There's the, in a journey, you need a, a vehicle, right? You need a, a car to travel in. We call that the relational environment, uh, the setting in which, as particularly our microgroups function. You'll hear more about those in, in a minute. 
but every car needs a driver, uh, a leader, an intentional leader to get you to the journey, to the destination. And then of course, the third element here is what we call a reproducible process. That's equivalent to a curriculum or uh, the GPS and uh, the global positioning system that takes you to where you wanna go in terms of that journey. Uh, so Ralph, we, we like to start with um, looking at the end in mind. What's the journey look like? And I'm gonna ask you if you would take us on your journey uh, at uh, Camarillo Community Church uh, in terms of what a successful disciple-making church looks like. I was just on the phone this morning with a young pastor from Liberia, and I was explaining, Greg, what, what we do, and the fact that we're not just about making disciples, but we're about making disciple makers. That's the successful journey. That's what we're trying to get to, is the place where the people of our congregation or ministry are involved in disciple making and making disciples who make disciples. Well, when I was pastoring a church in Southern California, we had seen the church grow from a small, tiny congregation to a well-sized congregation with a, a large auditorium with all the bells and whistles. And we thought we had a successful church, at least the way most people describe or picture successful churches. We had a big staff, we had a big building and had lots of programs going on and a lot of people uh, attending. However, it became evident over time that something was missing. And we did one of these surveys that a lot of churches do where they try to figure out, okay, how well are we doing? And uh, we were doing well in a lot of areas, but the one area we were not doing well in was making disciples. Uh, our people weren't growing. They get to a certain point and just kind of level off and uh, become stagnant. And that's when they start looking around for another church because they're looking for something else. They know something's missing. And so they'll go somewhere else and try to find it if they can. And I think we see that in churches all across America, this fruit basket turnover thing where the people are going from church to church because they're not finding uh, that fulfillment that I think in Jesus intended. Well, we're trying to figure this out, and we recognize it has something to do with discipleship. We're not quite sure what it is, but I'm reading I'm reading Leadership Journal, and I come across a John Ortberg article on disciple making, and he mentions the name Greg Ogden. And by, at that time, I, I knew your name, Greg, but I did I'd never read your stuff, and so I went home and I, I googled Greg Ogden. And I found Transforming Discipleship, which is kind of the key volume concerning disciple making that we use now. And I, I ordered a copy. I began to read it. And I, I noticed something, first of all, that this was a whole lot like some of the training I had in Campus Crusade for Christ, um, because they talked about disciple making a lot and transferable concepts and this kind of thing. But when I became a pastor, I didn't have time for a lot of that. So <clears throat> I just kind of left that all behind. And um, but I, in your book, I saw a description of making disciples that would make disciples and it rang some bells. So I ordered three more copies and I gave a copy to Daryl, a copy to Jim and a copy to Bev Garcia, my administrative assistant. And we got together and decided, okay, we'll try an experiment. We'll just launch four groups. We won't tell anybody about it. We'll do this totally stealth uh, <clears throat> undercover. Uh, Greg, uh, or Jim, you started a group. Daryl, you start a group, Bev, you start a group, I'll start a group, and we'll see what happens. So I launched my first disciple-making quad. I got three guys, uh, two of them were elders, and one of them was just a very uh, strong layman, and we started a, I started my quad. <clears throat> we weren't into this thing probably three or four weeks, and I noticed something was happening. It was happening in my life, as well as in the lives of the men in my group. 
Um, they were memorizing their memory verses. They were coming with their homework done, and they were excited to participate. And I realized something that I now look back on, and I've you know I've written about this a little bit. I call it the difference between discovery and dictation, <clears throat> because I, I'd have been depending on dictation to make disciples. I'd stand up on Sunday morning, I'd give them a note-taking outline, I'd preach my heart out. Uh, hopefully, they're taking notes and they're going to remember this, and it's going to change their lives. <clears throat> Problem was it, <laughs> it wasn't sticking nearly as well as I had hoped it would be. Yeah. Now, dictation as opposed to discovery and using the curriculum, Discipleship Essentials, which is the basic curriculum we use for these anyway, squads. We, uh, <clears throat> using the we curriculum, uh, they would go home, they would do their homework with under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're looking into God's word. They're discovering now truths that I've been trying to teach them. <laughs> from the pulpit for years, but somehow it, it now it starts to stick. They come back to the group. They articulate these truths to one another. Um, they're excited about them and they're remembering these things and their lives began to transform. Uh, built into this curriculum uh, from the very beginning is the multiplication comp component. When they sign up for a group, they sign a little covenant with one another saying, and the last part of the covenant is when I finish this group, I'll go try to find three other guys. I'll start another group. I'll prayerfully consider, consider continuing the disciple-making chain by getting others in a group and doing the same thing again. <clears throat> At the end of the year, my three guys went out. Uh, they each got three guys apiece, and our group of four men became 16. And so did Jim's group, and so did Daryl's group, and so did Bev's group. Uh, and the next year, they multiplied again. And before long, we had 250 groups going in our church. This was an amazing thing. And seven other churches in town were using the material. And then it jumped overseas uh, when one of our missionaries came home and said, hey, um, we're glad you're participating with us in our mission. We're glad for the money you send us. And, uh, and one of our guys said, well, what you really need to do is you need to do discipleship over there in Romania, where this particular gal was from. Uh, <clears throat> we got our heads together and decided, okay, we're going to get this stuff translated into Romanian. We're going to send her back to Romania with this, these uh, books, these <clears throat> uh, Discipleship Essentials workbooks, and see if it takes off in Romania. Well, it did take off in Romania, and before long, we were invited to go over with a group of our uh, people from our church and teach Romanian churches how to do this. And then finally, we did what we call the Global Disciple Making Summit, where we invited pastors and missionaries from all over the world, everybody we had contact with. We invited them to come to our church and learn how to do this and go back to their countries and do it. Um, not, not long after that, I retired and Greg Ogden and I joined, you and I joined a, a team here, made a team, and we started Global Discipleship Initiative. Basically, that's a quick nutshell of my story, but I'm still excited about what God's doing. Yep, you are. You show that excitement. You're investing in a lot of people uh, all over the place. Well, let me tell you a little bit about kind of where that whole concept of the, quote, microgroup came about, uh, or groups of three or four. In my first edition of Transforming Discipleship, I called them triads, because that's where I started with a group of three and then expanded to group of four. You called them quads uh, at Camarillo Community Church. And since we went to three or four as an ideal size, we have used the label microgroup. So get to that. But uh, where did that even that practice come about? Why did I think that this was such a good idea? 
Well, as a friend of mine says, uh, we learn by bumping into things. <laughs> I wish I had the foresight to say, oh, this was because I saw this insight. No, I had thought that disciple making was a one-to-one -one relationship. Uh, there's some value in that. Certainly, I don't want to de denigrate that. Uh, but that was the imprint that was on my mind. The very definition of discipling was one person discipling another person. And I did that for quite a, a number of years. I would always have men in my life that I was meeting with on a, usually a weekly basis. But I was watching um, things actually you know, transpire in people's lives, but there was no empowerment there. There was no multiplication that was taking place. And uh, I was just finishing up my doctor of ministry degree. I'd written a very rudimentary version of Discipleship Essentials, or at least what later became Discipleship Essentials. And uh, my mentor in that project said, well, let, let, why don't you try this material out in different contexts? So I did the one-on-one -on -one thing that I used to do on a regular basis. My wife was in a small group, so I foisted that uh, material onto her small group of 10, and they worked through it. Then this, the third option was, uh, well, how about a, a, let's try a group of three. Let's see what that's like. And so I had had a young man by the name of Eric approach me uh, saying that he would like me to mentor him. And I thought, mm, what's that mean? Um, but I thought to myself, well, I've got this curriculum. Uh, let's get a third person and we'll start meeting together on, on a regular basis. Well, what just floored me almost immediately was the change in dynamic from the one-to-one -to, -one to the group of three and the sense of the level of energy. And we get together and we'd be interchanging uh, our lives and our thoughts. And it moved out of that teacher-student relationship that the one who has the knowledge, the one who needs the knowledge, you know, that kind of thing. And so that what I call dependency relationship uh, into this, you know, energy of a group of three or four and uh, and that's really what caught my attention. Being I was like, oh my, this is so much more fun <laughs> than, uh, doing that one to one relationship. But then I saw the level of transparency develop, the openness and honesty. Uh, Eric, who was the one who approached me, was going through some struggles in his life. Um, in fact, in retrospect, he probably wasn't the best candidate for this discipleship group. He was young, good-looking hulk of a guy, uh, you know, drawn by the lures of the world, finances, women. Um, and uh, But he came to uh, actually Carl and myself and said, you know, I'm still young, and, and while I am unattached, uh, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to just travel the world for the next next year. And I, I said to him, uh, Eric, um, would you at least think about part of that time going to some mission project uh, where you can be exposed to these amazing people across the globe that are giving themselves for Christ. Well, lo and behold, a few months later, he comes back to me and says, oh, change my plans. Uh, I am, uh, instead of doing that, I'm going to join the staff of Crusade and go off on a summer mission. Woo! Uh, well, that did it. He went into Eastern Europe. Uh, this was before the fall of communism. And, uh, found his life changed as he was sharing the gospel in that setting and became fully committed to this whole process. And so that was kind of my initial exposure. It just changed my paradigm. Like, oh my gosh, uh, the kind of groupness uh, setting, the openness that could be there. And then the multiplication component, which was built in and I still continue to work on 
the Discipleship Essentials content. So um, I'm kind of a Johnny OneNote. I've been doing the same thing for the last 35 years of investing in this. And I still believe in it as much. Had my group this morning, eight o'clock. <laughs> and we just had a, a ball together, you know, in terms of our interchange around, um, you know, core truth around God's God's love being the, the primary quality of a disciple. You know? Well, the reason the reason I think we, we stick with these quads, Greg, is because they work. Uh, I, I've never seen anything work quite like them. Uh, I, I've been in small groups uh, all, all my ministry life, I think, and, and most of those are mixed groups and they run, you know, six to 10 people. And there's a certain amount of discipleship that can take place in that context. But there's also a level of discipleship that just won't take place in that context. When men are able to talk men's stuff or women are able to talk women's stuff without the other you know, part of their couple being, being involved, uh, there's some real transformation that can take place in that kind of transparent setting that can't take place anywhere else. Why don't we uh, to describe a little bit more of what we mean by a microgroup? Uh, and so, Ralph, if you could uh, take us into that picture or more, we can kind of go into that. We call that the relational environment. That's the vehicle that gets us where we're going. And that <clears throat> that's the container you know, where all of this takes place. And that environment that we're able to, to create with, you know, three other guys uh, it is amazing because of the transparency that's there, the honesty that can take place, because you have an accountability. Uh, <laughs> I've always said there's no place to hide in a group of four. You know, uh, you get in a, in, in a typical growth group or something like that, and uh, a couple's in there by them together. And usually there's one mouthpiece for the couple. One of them talks, the other one doesn't. Uh, okay. If you ask him a question, she answers for him or the opposite. Uh, and that one of them can kind of sit out the whole time. And in a group or eight or 10, uh, you've always got people that can hide. They, they just don't enter the conversation. Right. Uh, you bring it down to four, and now you've got time for everybody to add to the conversation in a rich way. Uh, and so that's, I think, part of what makes those, those kinds of groups so effective. Um, everybody, like I said before, are doing the homework they're coming back with what God has taught them and they're coming excited to share that uh, with the rest of the group. Um, there's, we, we always start with our, you know, with our memory verse. Uh, and so everybody's memorized a verse. And for people who are old as I am, uh, it's not as easy maybe to memorize those verses anymore. What that means is, you know, I got to start on the next day working on next week's verse learning it a line a day or something in order to do it. But what that does is that allows God to use the word, his word in my heart yeah. every day yeah. because I'm, I'm rehearsing that verse. And there's a very powerful component there of the, the transformation process that can take place because of the way I'm using God's word in my life. And of course, I, I, the, the typical disciplines that we know ought to be a part of any disciple's life uh, they come up in this in this context. Uh, our people begin to pray regularly for each other. Our people begin to study the Bible regularly. Um, their the evangelism component goes way up because now they're talking about their faith to one another on a regular basis. They're they're talking about their faith, uh, and it just it'll come up in conversation other times during the day and during the week with other people. 
because it's just it's in the front of their mind. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I'm thinking back to your, your Camarillo story and how the groups multiplied and over about three or four or five years, uh, this whole ethos permeated the congregation and it, it really changed the identity of the congregation that, I mean, you had four to 500 people involved in, in discipleship groups and uh and then it you know that became who you were as a church and that's the kind of culture uh why don't you talk about a little bit about what you saw some of the, the uh cultural values um that became a part of the congregation some that you anticipated and some you did not <laughs> yeah yeah when we started this greg we were we were hoping to get some effective disciple making going that that's that was all we were thinking about we did not expect a number of other things that i kind of call serendipities now because they were the unexpected uh products of this thing first of all there was a unity in the whole congregation everybody began to be on the same page everybody knew what we did as a church we made disciples now i've used this uh, thought several times before that that if I went up to 10 pastors in America and ask them what Jesus's last command was, there wouldn't be any hesitation. They'd quote Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you know, go into all the world, make disciples, you know, they could quote it. And if I ask them, can you name Jesus's disciples? They probably could name at least a half a dozen, maybe all of them, I don't know. But uh, then if I asked them what name their disciples, there could be an awkward silence, as there was for me when somebody asked me that question the first time. Name your disciples. Uh, while there was a stuttering, uh, I didn't really have an intentional plan of making disciples. Okay, I stand up in the pulpit and I preach. Does that make disciples? Well, the best preacher in the world, uh, whoever lived, did not depend on preaching to make disciples. That's what you. That's your phrase, Greg. <laughs> you know, and I love that. You know, Jesus didn't depend on preaching to make disciples. Uh, he didn't just give us a message. He gave us a method. And if we follow his method, we do it in a small, intimate group where real transformation can take place. Uh, we can see uh, a lot happen. One of the things that happened in our church was we saw this, this uh, unity of mind, this everybody knows what we're doing and why we're doing it, and everybody feels a part of it. Yeah. It wasn't just the pastor and a few people up front that were doing the ministry. Now our church was about disciple making and everybody was participating. We saw 
volunteers. All of a sudden, our volunteer base began to grow because all of these people now involved in such a way, God working in the heart, uh, all of our volunteers were coming out of our disciple-making groups. Leadership, when it came time for new elders or other leaders in the church, our leadership was coming out of our disciple-making groups. Um, somebody asked about evangelism. The leadership, the leadership pool, pool grows. That, that's an important point. Because uh, we always talk about <clears throat> deficit in the church, right? And, uh, and so where do we find leaders? And mainly because we try to take people who have never been discipled, yes. stick them in leadership positions. And I used to do a workshop that was entitled uh, Experiencing a Shortage of Leadership? Question mark. Make disciples first. <laughs> no. Make disciples first. We're growing your leadership pool by discipling people like that. And, and you're there. They're becoming. Uh, they they volunteer and they and they go into leadership not just because of what they're learning, but because we're pushing them into leadership. In a sense, you say, okay, when you get done with this, you're going to start your own group. Right. From the very beginning, they're thinking, oh, I'm going to start my own group. I better learn this stuff, you know. So they're, they're taking down good notes. They're making sure they, they're getting it. And then they come out feeling confident for leadership. They feel they feel capable because now they understand things that they've never really understood. When I'm preaching, they can't raise their hand and say, oh, wait a minute, Pastor, I didn't understand that. Could you say that again? You know, could you clarify that more? They don't do that. Yeah. <clears throat> but in a, in a group of four, you can do that. And you can make sure that you get it, you understand it. And I can make sure that the people in my group understand. So the leadership component, that, that was huge. And then I had somebody ask me one time, well, what does all this emphasis on disciple making do to your evangelism? Mm. Uh, wow. Mm. My best evangelists were the guys who were in, in the groups. They were the ones who were excited about transformation in their lives. They were excited about telling people who Christ was and how he had changed them and, uh, and what they were learning every day. Mm -hmm. um, they became our best evangelists. Right. Um, and I think the generosity component was the thing that was most surprising because this is, this is a challenge for every church and every pastor and every ministry leader who was wondering where the funds are going to come from. Um, <clears throat> we did not expect this. But when we did our first disciple-making summit, where we invited those Romanian pastors to come to the United States, and I, we committed to pay their airfare if they'd come and learn how to do this. I went to the congregation and said, folks, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we've made a commitment here. We, we need about $45,000 to bring these guys over from Romania, these pastors, and teach them how to do disciple-making. In two weeks, we had $45,000 committed to bring those guys over. Um, no hesitation at all, because the people I was at, the people being asked to participate financially were people involved in groups. Right. They knew the value of these things. They were sold on it. They immediately contributed the money. We um, probably two years later, we did the global summit where we invited <clears throat> pastors uh, and missionaries from around the globe to come. And this time we needed, uh, we estimated $85,000 Actually, we needed more than that. And when they gave the $85,000, they continued to give and gave $112,000. And we used it all. We needed it all. Um, then our administrative pastor, uh, Kenny Kibble, decided, wait a minute. Uh, we still have a, 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 a very expensive building we're trying to pay off. Why don't we, why don't we, do, why don't we up our campaign and, and get everybody? Because they seem to be very generous right now. Um, let's see if we can pay off this building. Within two months, we paid off our building. 
Um, I, I just did not expect that kind of responsiveness, and I didn't expect this discipleship. Although there is a chapter about handling your money um, in the in the curriculum, I didn't expect to see that kind of response. Great. Well, I think one of the other uh, side benefits, and uh, every pastor listening to this will be interested in your comments here. You actually found your workload subsiding uh, as a result of the growth of the disciple-making movement. Uh, share a little bit about that. I sure did. Uh, and, and again, a serendipity, didn't expect this. But I began to see that people were ministering to each other. And we, we tell our congregation this. We tell them, okay, we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to help one another. We're supposed to be there for each other. But now we put them into a context where they're very sensitive to one another's needs. They're very well aware when somebody's going through this and they're ministering to each other. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, my workload began. I, I began after several years into this. Uh, I, I felt the workload. I felt the burden on me going down. I, I felt I began to realize that Sunday morning was not the only time ministry was taking place in our church. Um, it wasn't all dependent on knocking it out of the park every Sunday morning with a great sermon. Uh, all of a sudden, I realized these people are growing with or without Sunday morning. Uh, and it didn't diminish the importance of what we were doing. It just spread the, uh, the, the workload across the, across the week and across a lot of other shoulders. Um, I remember when a uh, chairman of our board of elders had a heart event and uh, he was in the emergency room at the local hospital. And I ran down there to, to go see him and uh, thinking I would pray with him or whatever. And I get there and the nurse says, I'm sorry, uh, Pastor, you can't go in. I, I, wait a minute. I need to go in. He's, he, you know, he's, he's chairman on our board of elders. I need to go. Well, he left a list with names of people who could come and see him. I looked at the list. They were the men on, in his quad. His senior pastor wasn't on there, but his squad members were. They could come see him. And I walk away a little disappointed that I didn't get to see this guy, but also very excited by the fact that the ministry of God is now being returned to the people of God. They're doing the work of ministry, and that's the way it should be. So I saw my load definitely lighten. So as these discipleship consciousness permeates the culture of the church with all the people participating like that, you see all of these side benefits, the unity that's taking place, the generosity, the leadership development, uh, the, the ministry assumed, volunteerism uh, goes up, all of those kinds of things. It takes time. It doesn't happen instantaneously. No, no, no. That's the nature of the slow growth in a sense. So we have that phrase that we always use, a start small, go slow, think big um, and in this process of, of development. So let's, let's return to kind of our, our teaching tool here for a second and, um, you know, get back to the, the kind of the elements that uh, develop here and look at this level of intentional leader. Um, you've, you've talked about that a little bit. So we have the environment uh, of the car, uh, which is the microgroup and the transparency, openness, honesty, accountability that takes place in that small group of three or four. But every, uh, every group uh, needs a leader you know, has to initiate that. So I want to talk to a little bit about the importance of this leadership role uh, in, in the life of our of our churches a little bit. So we can both kind of chat about this, but uh, the leader really does a couple of things. Um, one, the leader is kind of the initiator of the group life, right? So I, 
visualize completing a discipleship group of three or four, you get to the end of the curriculum. Each person is challenged to then to prayerfully consider those that would be in his group or her group. Uh, so we have men with men, women with women uh, in the groups. And so uh, we're asked as I was talking with our guys this morning and say, okay, we're two thirds of the way through. Uh, okay, who are you praying about? Who's on your heart? Where are you going with this? Because uh, you're going to be in the lead position. You know, we may pair up and start groups together. So I might pair up with Rob. Dean will pair up with with Terry. Uh, could start it in that way. But the first thing to do is ask God, who is it that you would put on my heart? Uh, who am I called to? Why do we do this? Well, uh, think of how Jesus formed his groups. Uh, I always go back to Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, uh, when um Jesus, it says, spent all night in prayer, and the next day he called his disciples to himself, and from them chose 12. And so um, discipleship groups start with a call, just as Jesus prayed about who it was and who is it he was investing in. Let's follow that model. Who do we pray for? You know, and, and then, so then you go, you make that personal invitation. We talk about the power of personal invitation in this ministry. Uh, how's that different from the way churches run programs? Well, you stand up in front of the congregation on a Sunday morning, you announce this great new discipleship program that's starting, you all go sign up. And I always say the same 10 to 20% that sign up for everything else, sign up for that. And you're no further along than when you were than when you started. Because people are usually thinking, well, you know, not talking to me. <laughs> um, they're talking about somebody else. And uh, But when you go and look somebody in the eye, and say, you know, I've been praying about this, and God has put you on my heart, and I'm starting this new group so that we can grow together to be followers of Christ and have an impact uh, on our families, on our community, on our workplace. Uh, would you consider being with me and a couple of others uh, as we journey together? Well, that's a very different approach, isn't it, than the usual church program uh, approach, you know, and you all sign up or come to this event uh, kind of thing. So uh, what sets these groups apart? Well, it's one is the simplicity uh, of the role of the leader. You get a group of three or four together. What's the role of the leader? Facilitate a conversation. Uh, it's not complex. You know, you have a curriculum that you're working through. So you're asking the questions and you're, you're facilitating that conversation and, and having a, a, a good time doing it. So it doesn't require, um, you know, expertise in leadership. Uh, if you get a group of 10, 12, uh, then the leadership skill level has to go up. Uh, but if you're having a conversation with three or four, well, that's just a fairly easy thing uh, to do and develop. Um, we are... We also say that we see leaders train, be trained in the group itself, right? So uh, we oftentimes get asked, well, do you have a separate leadership training course <laughs> for people? And we say, no, it's on the job training. Um, you, you learn by doing. So we get a group started. Maybe you started a group, Ralph, I started a group, and we'll, we'll lead for the first few sessions. But we tell them immediately, uh, not too long from now, you all are going to be sharing in leadership, taking us through one of the lessons. And, uh, and by the time they're done, you will have led this group dozens of times, maybe or a dozen times. Uh, so you, you are learning to lead by being in the group. There's no separate training 
uh, for that. And they people find out, oh, well, I, I can do this, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's not uh, rocket science there. And uh, then uh, we are what learning from each other as well. Um, so as you said earlier, you know, you've got a workbook, you're, you're filling in the answers, you're coming, sharing your own insights uh, with what God has taught you in this process. And then we get to learn from each other. You know, I, I, I just think of one illustration why I had one guy in my groups that, that just thought in pictures, you know, he always had images since uh, to describe the, and he, we were talking about the whole issue of Jesus selecting disciples and, and, uh, and he says, oh, this is the image that comes to my mind. Remember those old Western movies, you know, with the sheriff, uh, you know, needed to round up a posse <laughs> and go after the bad guys. <laughs> and so he, I, the way I see it is the sheriff rounds up a posse, slaps a badge and deputizes these people and says, now you've got the authority to go get the bad guys. And uh, I thought, well, it's not a bad image in terms of what uh, discipling is all about. Jesus has deputized us, you know, to go and, and make, make disciples. So, it, you know, those are the kinds of things that um, are, are helpful. Any other thoughts that you have about the whole kind of role of leadership? I just I just go back and re and remember that the the mistake that so that we've seen a number of times is that somebody thinks okay the leader is the teacher, right? And, right. and we have to emphasize that that is not the case. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. The Bible is the base you know, is a text. Uh, we have a curriculum that takes us through there, and all the leader does is facilitate the discussion. And if you can say. What did you get for, what is your answer for question three? You can lead a group. Uh, that's all that's required. You don't have to have a, a seminary education to lead one of these groups or make disciples. The Holy Spirit is making the disciples and he does that through the context of the group and the curriculum that we're using. So uh, we, don't, we don't want teachers to go in and try to use our teaching gift here because that, that takes the, the leadership away from the rest of the group that they need to learn. They need to be able to participate as well. Yeah, and we we need to be honest about the the expectations of of being in a group like this, right? Because I, you know, what makes them work? Well, they in a sense are very profoundly simple in terms of why why they work so well. One, people have made a commitment to show up weekly, uh, to spend time making sure that they have prepared the content. Uh, they're coming to share their insights with each other and learn from one another. We're opening our lives up to each other in a deeper way, maybe than they ever have in there before, uh, and bonding at a, at a deep level. We're praying for each other. We're taking each other through difficult times in our life, because mm -hmm. I always say that if you're meeting for a year, year and a half, uh, some quality of life-threatening experience will be going on in at least one or more of the people in, in the group. Could be a health issue uh, this morning. Uh, Matt, uh, Terry is a part of our group. Terry has just gone through 33 radiation treatments on his throat. Mm. And, uh, and he's, this is the third kind of cancer uh, that he has had. And he showed up today because he wanted to be there. Uh, very weak, um, could, wasn't able to prepare the lesson, but he knew where he wanted to be. He wanted to be there in our group and be, be a part of that, that time. Uh, and so, you know, because we've been caring and we've been praying for him, we've been coming alongside him and it's been such a meaningful uh, experience uh, for his life.
Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So yeah, these groups have become you know powerful in that in that fashion. And and that's a, that's an important thing too, Greg. I'll just jump in here. When we're going through the curriculum as we do, uh, and you and something comes up in the group, uh, as often will happen. Sometimes you even set the material aside and you deal with the issue that somebody's going through. I had a guy show up in one of my groups. He shows up and he just and he, he starts out by just saying, "I think Pammy and I, Pammy and I are done." what do you need done well i'm looking for an apartment uh wait a minute and we put the books aside and all three guys uh, <laughs> gathered around this one guy and actually for the next three weeks basically went through and helped him work through his marriage situation and figure out what his part in this was and how he he was falling short and helped him put his marriage back together and the last Sunday I was in Camarillo as a senior pastor, uh, he was right there on the front row with his wife. And when we handed the microphone around and we're letting people share, you know, what uh, what of the in ministry of Pastor Ralph and, and Jackie had impacted their lives. He was one of the first ones up with the microphone saying, Pammy and I would not be here today if it were not for that disciple making group I was in with Pastor Ralph. Um, it wasn't me. It was three other guys that just got around him and loved on him and helped him get his marriage straightened out. But that's life situation. And yeah. disciple making is doing life together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Highly, highly relational. And, and, uh, and I don't know if we've said that enough either. The, the relational component of this thing is one of the things that surprised me as a pastor, because I'm standing up and I'm preaching to hundreds of people every, every weekend. There's no relationship. There's no deep relationships there. They come at the back door, shake my hand and say, Pastor, that really ministered to me. Great. You know, and I'm talking to the next person. You just don't have that opportunity for a relationship like you do in these microgroups. And that you get very close, and that's where God does uh, some of His best work. Yeah, and so the relational environment, as we've described, is absolutely paramount. Yes, for disciple making. Yes, we have we have a curriculum, we have programmatic elements. I like to say, mm -hmm. all wrapped in in our commitment to each other and the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in our group life uh, together that makes for the shaping influence. Uh, well, let's talk about that curriculum a little bit, Greg. You, God used you to put together an incredible curriculum we call Discipleship Essentials. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this came to be? This is that reproducible element. Yeah, and so that's the, the GPS, as we like to call it. So relational environment, intentional leader, and then you need a curriculum to get you to, the, to, to your journey. Uh, the end of your journey there. Well, where did that come from? Yes, uh, <laughs> the uh, story of that. Um, two things actually came together pretty, you know, in a fairly short period of time. This is many moons ago, uh, but the whole practice of you know being in, in a group of three and then having this curriculum. 
Uh, actually, I was out jogging around the track one day and uh, and you know, just kind of doing my workout. And maybe there was some roiling around in terms of frustration about discipling that was there. But I don't think I was consciously thinking about that. And frankly, I, as I was going around this track, <laughs> uh, there was this arrow that came out of the sky and seemed to go right through me. And all of a sudden, I had the format in my mind of discipleship essentials. I mean, I had the four sections, boom, right there. Um, and one moment I wasn't thinking about it, the next moment there was this, this picture in my mind and it felt like, okay, um, you're called to put together a, a discipleship curriculum. And so I went back uh, home. I told my wife about it and we were just about ready to go on vacation. I said, I gotta, I gotta write this. I gotta get started <laughs> on this. And over a period of time, uh, that's, you know, this whole thing came together and eventually InterVarsity Press picked it up. But I self-published the material for a number of years. Just, you know, we put it together, bind it up, print it out. People would write in, ask for it, send them out. And um, so it's, you know, it's well tested. Uh, now, but it's 25 lessons that goes through the foundations of the faith, um, kind of helps us know what it means to be a disciple and make disciples is the, kind of the setup of the material and takes us through some practice of the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer and quiet time, takes us through some of the core doctrines of the faith. What has Christ done for us, the nature of Trinity, grace, etc. And then what does Christ want to do in us um, through the transformative process of the work of the Holy Spirit and trust, love, etc. And then the final section is uh, what does Christ want to do through us? Now, the work of the church, ministry gifts, spiritual battle that we're involved in, and then replicating the discipleship process, but impact upon the world uh, as well. So it's, it feels like it covers some of the core waterfront of what the what the faith is all about. Um, it really does. It really does, Greg. It's it's what I call Bible College 101. I describe it that way sometimes because it, it covers all of the essential stuff. And a person walks away from these groups feeling like they've got a handle on their faith. Many of them, for the first time, they feel like, you know, I really can explain what I believe. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, I always like to think about it in terms of, well, if you don't have a curriculum, what what's what what is the problem there? So if you don't have a curriculum, I like to say you don't have a plan. Uh, what's your plan for taking people through a process of foundation life? There's lots of other things beyond discipleship essentials, certainly, but we think that your basis is so important. The way I, I like to think about it is in terms of uh, putting together puzzle. Um, it feels like, and you will go back to preaching and, and you know, devotional reading and things like that, that we collect a lot of disconnected puzzle pieces. So get a truth from Ralph's preaching, you know, oh, toss that puzzle piece in a box. Uh, read a devotional thought, toss that in a box. Go to a Bible study, mm, something else. And we've got a lot of disconnected puzzle pieces, uh, but we haven't taken these individual puzzle pieces and put them together into the picture of what the Christian life is all about. And of course, to, to put a puzzle together, what do you do? You dump out all the pieces on the table, you turn them over, and so you get all the straight edges and you put the box up there where it has the picture there. Well, Discipleship Essentials kind of serves as that, you know, a, a, a picture putting together the, the puzzle pieces of the, of the Christian life. Uh, so there's, I think there's that. Uh, it, uh, it's, uh, it creates an intentionality in terms of how you are growing in your faith. But the most important thing, probably of all these things I could say is 
Every disciple maker needs a transferable tool. And the value of going through discipleship essentials is now that you've gone through it, you've got this tool you can use with others as well and, um, and have that be a part of their life. I like to tell the story of, of Nick, uh, who came into a new members class that I was leading in a former church. And, and uh, Nick uh, had come out of a Roman Catholic background. Uh, he had married a, a young Methodist many, many moons ago. And uh, when age 22, she converted to Roman Catholicism so they could get married at the church. And now they're in their mid-60s, and Sally is saying, Mick, I'm going to go back to my Protestant roots. If you want to follow me, that's fine, but I'm going. And uh, so uh, Mick shows up in our new members class and hands me a notebook the very first day he walks in. And uh, he's, I open it up, and it's 97 single-space pages of contrasting Protestantism to Roman Catholicism. I thought, oh my gosh, this guy is serious. <laughs> and uh, he's done his homework. And so he says, I, I've got a satisfied mind. I can, I can make this shift. And so I invite him into a discipleship group. I was just getting one started. I, Mick would be great. Um, so the very first day we shows up, we meet in a, a law office uh, room and, uh, and Mick brings in his thick study Bible got all the tabs in, in the book of the Bible and puts his hand on the Bible as if he's swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He says, you know, I've never opened a Bible. And I'm sort of got stunned silence. And I say, here's the exact quote. You mean you've never read it seriously? He said, no, I have never opened a Bible. He read a, He'd been books about the Bible to be able to do his Protestant versus Roman Catholicism theology study. And I thought, well, we're going to have an interesting journey. <laughs> Introduction. Uh, and he had all kinds of questions and rabbit holes. We ran down. It was just fabulous. 18 months later, Mick had his own discipleship group. Now, he was smart enough to know what he didn't know. Every once in a while, he'd periodically call me and say, okay, we got to accumulate list of questions. We need to ask you these questions. But that shows you what can happen in a fairly short period of time, you know, using a curriculum that he could then use uh, with others as well uh, as a transferable tool there. Well, now, Greg, how long have you been doing this? Oh, you should have not asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, about, uh, to be exact, probably about 37, 38 years now. Now, wait a minute. You, you don't get tired of doing the same thing over and over? Are you saying that people should use this discipleship essentials and keep using it and keep using And uh, don't you get bored? Well, maybe it's my own personal call to see the foundations laid in people's lives. And that's where I feel that there's a massive gap uh, in the church. Uh, if you ask the vast majority of people uh, in your church, say you had a new convert and ask them to disciple this new convert, how many people would be ready to do that? Mm -hmm. uh, not, uh, they would be stammering and stuttering, you know, and I, I just see this um, foundations that need to be laid in people's lives that we don't do it. And uh, we don't do it systematically. It has to be done block by block and, um, and done in that fashion. So. No, I don't get I don't get tired of that. Uh, and it's amazing that every group that you're in is different, isn't it? It is. Yeah. The people are different. Yep. 
it, it's it's it, yeah it's you know it's 25 lessons and after you've done it several times you you've gotten your answers down and got a pretty good answer for all of them but you know i i think about you 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 play golf don't you greg uh yeah i do on occasion and all you're doing is taking a stick and knocking a ball in a hole don't you get tired don't you get boring uh, no, not at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, certainly, but not boring. <laughs> I know people that pay lots of money every week, and they go out every week, and they go golfing. They can't get enough of it. Why is that? I don't know, but but I do know that making disciples who make disciples is the richest activity I've ever been involved in, and I certainly don't get tired of it. That's for sure. One of the things that I think has been so. Um, encouraging to me now as a pastor as I look back and I think about it more and more what I didn't realize I had done for my people in Camarillo is I had disempowered them mm. over years of teaching and training from the pulpit I disempowered them they were the listeners I was the one who was doing the work I was doing it and I would feed them like babies feeding them pablum every week um, and, and I disempowered them right and what happened when we gave them the opportunity to all not only learn these things themselves, but then to become group leaders, tra training others in this basic discipleship curriculum, uh, we empowered them in a way they'd never been empowered before. They knew they were do they were on divine mission. Yeah, they were on divine mission, and they knew it. Uh, and you could see it in the way they carried themselves, the way they acted, the way they rejoiced on Sundays when they did come to church. You know, they're they're excited. They're excited to see their group members. They're excited to tell others what's happened during the week. Uh, it just it, it it changed their whole perspective. Yeah, that's one of the, one of the things I really enjoyed when you were a pastor at Camarillo Community Church and would invite me in uh, to do various things. And I obviously was uh, engaged with uh, your lay people in a sense that we're very much engaged with the, the self-service process. Uh, the level of energy, it just struck me, you know, at the church. People would come up to me over and over again, and they would show me their Bibles uh, or their, their books and how many people that they had led through in discipleship and how they had reproduced and uh, just excited to be a part of a growing network of disciple makers and uh, how meaningful it had been in their life. And I just think, you know, how, the change in psyche that happens when you move from being a participant in a group to then leading a group is massive in terms of the change of, of level of energy that is, that's all about that. You know, how would that affect the mindset of a congregation when people take ownership of discipling others and, uh, and feel like they have something to offer in that process and be a part of God's kingdom work because God is using them to be an instrument in the lives of other people and helping them grow up in the faith. It just changes the entire way people look at their own Christian life. And it changed, the, it changed, as you've described, it changed the whole uh, tenor of our church. I mean, people just saw church differently now. They took ownership of the church. It was, it was their church, not just because they attended. It was their church because they were doing the cr critical thing. And we began to, <clears throat> we, we took an illustration out of your uh, transforming discipleship where you talk about the, the Olympics and the United States being there when they dropped the baton. 
uh, and we we made a baton. We took we took a baton and we put on the on the baton. We put the name of the church and we put the <laughs> we put their name on it. And when they completed the curriculum, you know, first when we started this thing, it was stealth. We didn't tell anybody what we were doing because you couldn't have. But after a while, it began to be more and more widespread, and we began to raise up disciple making in its vi visibility in the congregation. This is what we do. This is who we are, and we gave out our golden batons on Sunday morning. Right. When a raft of, of people had completed, uh, every few months we would have a baton passing ceremony where we would actually give them a baton representing what Christ had done in their lives and through this discipleship material and that they were supposed to carry now the baton and share it with others and pass the baton on. Uh, it became the primary thing that we did as a, as a congregation. We were a disciple making mission. That was that's a great visual to help people see the, it, that they are passing it on one one to another be a part of that well we we're getting down to the kind of the end of our time here and uh, i want to tell you a little bit more about uh, gdi and uh, what we're all about and so that might be helpful to to kind of see that um here's who we are and uh, you can see our website globaldi.org uh, there's a YouTube channel where we've got lots of videos for training. Um, it goes along with um, the Discipleship Essentials curriculum. There's intro videos for each one of the 25 lessons in Discipleship Essentials on that YouTube channel. So we encourage you to you know, take advantage of these resources. But we're also, you know, do training for pastors and we call it cohorts and uh, groups of three or four pastors or church leaders. Uh, going through a curriculum over approximately a two-year period of time, meeting once a month for two hours. And we we call that turning your church into, into a disciple-making mission. And uh, we, we do it over two years because we want people to stay focused on the change process that it takes to get done. Uh, we know you pastors out there get easily distracted, and we want to keep you focused on the direction you need to go. It's so many things that are on our plate. I was talking to a pastor this morning. You know, I got so many things I got to pay attention to. Uh, but, you know, this is a helpful way to say, okay, let's take you step by step through this process. Start small, go slow, think big uh, over a period of time, and we'll guide you through the content. So um, all that information is right on our globaldi.org uh, website. Uh, so you can find that there um and uh so and you can have that uh, available and ralph you're leading something called your uh coaching microgroups yeah coaching microgroups and this is where i gather pastors uh i find pastors that are interested they but they've not done it themselves and they want to learn how to do it uh it's easy i just say hey here's the material let's start a group and i'll start a group with pastors i'm currently doing a, a group with uh, two pastors from India, a pastor from the United Kingdom, and a seminary professor from Philadelphia. And we meet regularly, and we're going through the basic material. And these guys all know this material. They've, you know, they've taught it uh, in some fashion in their churches in the past, but I'm showing them a way that they can now pass it on to their congregants and to their people in their, in their churches. <clears throat> and so I just take them through it. And, and part of what we do is before they're six or eight weeks into it, I say, okay, it's time to start your group. Now, I don't do this with, my, with everybody. I do this with pastors when I'm teaching them how to use it in their church. But I'll go ahead and get them to start a group 
while we're going through the material so that I'm coaching them through this process and helping them uh, begin this process in their churches. And uh, boy, what a joy that is as well. And we've started these coaching microgroups where we're coaching pastors to do this. And, and I didn't, you know, I'm, I, I didn't expect it to go global. You know, I didn't expect it to go beyond Camarillo Community Church. It did. I didn't expect it to go global. It did. <clears throat> and now we're in over 50 countries of the world. We've translated discipleship essentials in 29 languages with several others in process as we, as we speak. Um, French being, I think, probably the the last one, <laughs> uh, the most recent, but they, uh, they're constantly asking for translations and new languages, and we've just gotten into the continent of Africa, and there's so many local languages there that <clears throat> they'll have to be translated into, and so uh, we just, we work with pastors wherever they are, whatever level they're on, uh, we try to come alongside them and help them get this started in their churches. And if we can be of assistance to anyone who's listening today, um, give us a call. Let us know. Uh, we'll find a cohort or a microgroup or something to help you. We'll talk you through it. We'll don't mind spending time on the phone with you, just chatting about what's happening in your church and challenges you might be facing with this. But um, we are totally committed to helping the body of Christ begin to make disciples who make disciples. Yeah, you can communicate to us through our website. Uh, feel free to send a message in, in that direction. I guess we could have put our names up there, but greg at globaldi.org, ralph at globaldi.org um, will get directly to us in terms of our, our mission. We actually have national directors in four countries. Uh, Nepal was our first. Uh, Romania, we have a national director and an assistant director in Romania, uh, the, in the Philippines, and most recently in Ukraine. So you can imagine uh, how busy we have been uh, with supporting Igor and his wife, Susanna, uh, from Kyiv, who are now going back, you know. Actually, he's in Kyiv this morning. I was gonna say, even as we are speaking, did you, did you get a hold of him? Uh, I didn't talk to him today, I talked to him yesterday. Yeah, he's on. Yeah, well, yeah. We talked to him yesterday, I know he was on his way uh, back to Kiev um, with a van that we had helped him buy and a van load of stuff. So, uh, but, um, well, this has been a joy to be with you and to be a part of this. I just want to thank uh, Bobby Harrington and National Disciple Making Forum and uh, just support that ministry. We just love um, being a part of it. Um, Bobby has been a champion for bringing lots of different groups together so that we can share in concert with each other. We know that the mission of disciple making is so far bigger than any one of our organizations. And uh, we just want to be a contributor along with everybody else um, to see this mission of disciple making return to the center stage of, of church life. And we're just delighted to be a part of what God is doing in all of this. So wonderful to be with you. That was great stuff from Greg and Ralph. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Next up, we're going to be hearing from Paul Ugebart about how to be effective with small groups within an already established church. That's going to be a pretty important episode because it can be a pretty difficult thing to cast vision and shift the culture of a church that's long been going a different direction than that. That could be people getting angry, people leaving the church even. 
and just a little bit of wrestling to all get on the same page together. So make sure to click subscribe to know when I release that episode. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.